You're listening to a sermon originally recorded by Schweitzer United Methodist Church in Springfield, Missouri. Check us out online at sumc.co. And if this sermon blessed you, be sure to share it with someone else. Thank you so much for listening. Now, on to the message. Romans 2, verses 1 through 11. You may think you can condemn such people, but you are just as bad. And you have no excuse. When you say they are wicked and should be punished, you are condemning yourself. For you who judge others do these very same things. And we know that God in his justice will punish anyone who does such things. Since you judge others for doing these things, why do you think you can avoid God's judgment when you do the same things? Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? But because you are stubborn and refuse to turn from your sin, you are storing up terrible punishment for yourself. For a day of anger is coming when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will judge everyone according to what they have done. He will give eternal life to those who keep on doing good, seeking after the glory and honor and immortality that God offers. But he will pour out his anger and wrath on those who live for themselves, who who refuse to obey the truth and instead live lives of wickedness. There will be trouble and calamity for everyone who keeps on doing what is evil. For the Jew first, and also for the Gentile. But there will be glory, and honor, and peace from God for all who do good. For the Jew first, and also for the Gentile. For God does not show favoritism. This is the word of God for the people of God. Houston, we have a problem. You've probably said those words at some point in your life, thanks to that 1995 film that recalled the trip of Apollo 13 in 1970, up in outer space, it's a ship headed toward the moon, and then there's an explosion, and things go wrong. And probably at some point in your life, you've turned to somebody significant to you, and you've said the same, very same thing. In fact, yesterday, I came in after spending some time out on my tractor, and I looked at my wife, and I said it. We have a problem. And she said, what's the matter? And I said, there's, there's something wrong with my tractor. It's making a noise. And so there's some things that I'm going to have to adjust and I'm going to have to fix on this thing. It's a way in which we say to one another, to the world around us, when something isn't going quite right, we've got a problem. We're aware of something. Something's come up on our dashboard. Our attention has been received. The Apostle Paul, last week, when we started our series on Romans, the Apostle Paul kicks off his letter time and time and time again talking about good news. In fact, seven times in the first 17 verses of his letter, he talks about the good news of the gospel. And he says the gospel is the thing that that brings us the power of God. and, And for those who believe it, it brings us salvation. It brings us connection to God. It brings us peace. It brings us brings us all of the goodness of the glory of God. But then But then almost immediately, almost like in in that moment, I guess I I 
pictured it or I envisioned Paul's rejoicing in the good news of God, almost like if you're an Alabama fan and you watched the football game yesterday between Alabama and Vanderbilt. You know, Alabama just won big. It's like 59 to nothing or something like that. It was a resounding victory. It was, and, and Paul's sense of the good news is this resounding, resounding song. And then in verse 18, it's like the mood changes dramatically. From good news to this next text, which kind of flows into what, what Jake read for us. And then we'll flow through almost the rest of the next a couple chapters. Paul says this, But God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Now, um, maybe that's good news to people that have been listening to Paul along the way. Because maybe they read that and they go, there's good news. God is going to do a work of saving us and he's going to bring us to himself. And then God is going to show anger towards those who aren't like us. Towards those who, who um, reject God, God or they live differently from God. So God's got a word for them. But what Paul continues to do here the next few moments and the next few verses is to say, friends, uh, he doesn't call out to Houston because he doesn't know Houston's there. But he says, friends, all of us, all of us here have a problem. And our problem is, is that all of us deep down are disconnected at some level from God. And so life doesn't go as it should go. A couple weeks ago, I was up I had the uh, privilege and honor of talking with our confirmands in, in their class that happens right now at this time. And I greeted them, um, or at s somewhere along the way, I asked them a question. I said, why does life suck? Now, maybe that's kind of a, you know, that, that kind of catches your attention sometimes. Um, but, but they had some answers, and pretty quickly they had some answers. They gave some answers like this, lack of time. Life doesn't have all that it is, is seeming to mean because we run out of time. And I can concur with that. I don't know if you ever run out of time, but, but run out of time. There's things to do, you run out of time. Natural disasters come. Um, I think the people in Houston probably are, are giving a new interpretation to that line. Houston, we have a problem, right? Because natural disasters have come and they, they see the problem very, very visible. They feel it. Homework, I love that response. Uh, I can concur with students who say life doesn't have all its meaning because, well, anyway. Uh, and then they said because people are stupid. Somebody said because people are stupid. I think that might go along the way of like people don't live up to your to our own expectations, other people don't. And because people want what they want. And so we were able to talk for a, a season, I was with the confirmants, about how this plays out in, in the world. And most of us can probably affirm that list. And yet the reality is, is that we just don't affirm that list, but there's at some level where we live into that list. We are that list. Paul will describe a whole list of things, ways in which people miss the mark, they sin against God. He begins, in fact, with, first with the, the reality that they, they stop worshiping God as God. And then he develops a whole list of vices, if you will, to sort of show how, how we miss the mark and we sin against God. And we, we don't just sin against God, but we begin to sin against one another. 
In fact, he gets down near the end of chapter 1 and he says, the further we get away from God, we begin to invent new ways of sinning. Things that he couldn't even begin to dream of or imagine. He simply said, we begin to see new ways of sinning. So Paul says, we have a problem. Now when he gets to chapter 2, he's dealing with some people who think that, well, some people have a problem. Maybe everybody doesn't have a problem. Maybe some of us were okay. John Wesley, when he was uh, in college, John Wesley was a, one of the co-founders of the Methodist movement. And when he was in college, he came to this point where um, he, he thought, you know what, I don't have a problem. There are people in the world who have a problem with sin. There are people in the world who are distant from God, but I'm okay. And he, he understood his okayness with God in, in three different ways. One of the things he said was, I'm not as bad as other people in the world. Like he looked out at others and he said, there's a lot of other people who are worse than I am. He compared his own sense of uh, reliance upon God or distance from God. He compared that to other people and he said, there's other people a lot worse than I am. And then he said, I have a kindness toward religion. That, that meant for him that he, he, was, he had an affinity toward it. He, he went to church. In fact, that, that's the next point, is that he, he read his Bible. He went to church. He said his prayers. He did the things that he was supposed to do. He, he was a good chap. When Paul, after he describes the sense of a problem in Romans 1, he turns to to Romans 2. And the people that he's really writing to right there are people who have things like the law. They're the Jews that are in, in the Roman church. They've got the law of God. They, they have their practices of worship. They go to synagogue. They gather with one another and they say their prayers. And yet Paul says, friends, every one of us, every one of us, whether you're Jew or Gentile, whether you've been in the synagogue or the church for a really long time or you've never been there at all. He says, all of us, deep down in our hearts, we have a problem. Romans 3 verse 9 says, all of us are far from God. In the book that uh, hopefully you've got and are reading, there's a picture in, at, the end of this, at the end of chapter 2 that's been... Um, put there, Kristen Strong presented this picture, and it's a picture of, and you can't see it very well up here, I'm, I'm sorry about that, but you can see it great in the, in the book, so I encourage you to get the book. But Kristen Strong drew this picture in which she drew a person who is just a little bit off-center, and you can't even begin to see in the, in the picture like you can in the book, there is just a little idol, a very small replica of the person standing at the center, underneath the shade of, of that tree. And when you take a look at that picture and you read what Kristen wrote, she said, the human person that Paul describes is a person who's living, and they find themselves living in a world that is full of the glory of God. And all of God's manifold goodness and kindness and beauty and richness, it's all around them. And you can see that with the bright colors that are there. And yet, instead of embracing that reality, the person takes a step aside from the center where God has placed them, if you will. 
as part of God's crowning jewel of creation. The person steps aside, and instead of worshiping the creator, they make an image of themselves, a very small image, a very diminutive image, and they put it at the center of the picture. And looking at that small image, they begin to worship it. They begin to get their sense of identity from it instead of the fullness of God's creation. And so Paul says, he says, we're all there, friends. None of us is far from that story. That is the story of, of all of us. So when the confirmands up in the room said, there are people who are mean, there are people who missed the mark, they were really saying that all of us are in that space. All of us, at some point or another, are in that space. We're all in the same boat. So what, is, what does Paul mean then by saying that there's good news? Where is there good news that greets us? Well, first off, it's good news to know where you're at. Then the second thing that's good news is he starts to describe God as somebody who is present, who's close to us. In fact, somebody who draws us in, seeks to draw us in, somebody who doesn't abandon us or leave us. In uh, the text that Jake read for us from Romans chapter 2, Paul begins to describe a number of God's characteristics. First off, he describes God as somebody who's just, who's somebody who cares about what's right and what's wrong. Uh, N.T. Wright, who's a, a modern-day theologian, says God intends... Through his justice, God intends to put things to right. God sees the world as it is, and God weeps, and God longs for it to be a place where there's life and goodness, where people flourish, where people have their dreams and ambitions come alive. God longs for that. And God sees how we are, we are cruel and mean to one another. And God calls it into question through his justice. Also, Paul says about God, he says that he's capable of punishing and he's capable of rewarding. God takes notice of what's happening in the world. God is present. God is close to us. God is also described as somebody who's kind and tolerant and patient. He's wooing us, Paul says. In fact, he knows how far we can be from him, and yet he woos us back to him. At the end of, of what Jake read for us, God's, God is described as somebody who's impartial. All of these qualities are qualities or characteristics that we see reflected within the framework of who God is. Now some people, when they, they hear those words or they um, put this picture of God together, they, they can come to the place where the, they see God as somebody who's like a judge in a black robe and we all have to stand before the judge. And yet I'd like to point out to you and, and remind us that Jesus is somebody who says, I've come into this world to work as a judge. But Jesus had a very unique way of being a judge in our midst. When Jesus showed up, you could ask him anything. You could reveal to him who you were and who you are in the deepest places of your life. And if you were afraid, for some reason, if you were afraid to reveal yourself fully to Jesus... You need not be afraid. 
Because Jesus could see what was written on your heart. And Jesus would call it out when, when he spoke to the woman who was at the well in Samaria. He, he knew who she was fully. And he called it out. But it wasn't a calling out in a way to, to put her on display. No, it was a calling out to speak truth and life into the midst of her heart. To describe for her not who she was, but who she was meant to be. To describe for her not a point of shame in her life, but to say, you have been in a place. And God sees you where you're at. But he wants to bring you into this place where he created you to be. And so Jesus, what really defines the person of Jesus and the work of Jesus is that Jesus is somebody who's a liberator. He's somebody who gives freedom. He's somebody who sees the life that God intends for us to live. He calls that out of the people that he's with. In many ways, Jesus functioned like a doctor who describes the diseases that afflict our hearts and our spirits, who describes the diseases that afflict our relationships. And Jesus comes along and he says, come after me, follow after me, turn your attention to me, and I'll bring you close to the Father. I'll bring you to a whole new place. So sometimes, when we read like in Romans chapter 2, or in Romans 1, that there's a sense of anger in God, that things aren't the way that they're meant to be, we can begin to imagine God as an angry God. But God is really angry at the things that would take life away from us. And God, in a sense, desires to, to move the world to a place where there's life. And so he has to be about things like justice and righteousness and goodness. Bill Hybels tells a story of a dad who was the CEO of a, of a family-run company. And he said this dad worked really hard to cut, create a culture where the people of the organization knew that they were valued and appreciated. He worked really hard to, to have a place that was thriving and people loved to work. And along the way in the development of, of this corporation, he brought his son on as an assistant vice president. And with the real intent that at some point the son would take over the reins when the dad retired. And so the dad had this, this passion for this company and, and the culture that was being cultivated there. And then one day he, he noticed his son, and he had heard rumors along the way that his son didn't share the same kind of culturing as his dad. And the dad watched one moment when the son berated another employee in the midst of others. And so the dad calls the son into the office, and he said... Uh, we're going to have a conversation here, and I'm going to wear a couple of hats. And the first hat is going to be the CEO of this company. And as the CEO of this company, you know that I've tried to create a certain kind of culture where we value people and we value the kinds of contributions that people bring to the table. He said, as CEO, I just noticed that you're not valuing others. You're not, you're not honoring other people. And so we're going to have to make a separation, and you're going to have to depart from your role in this company. And then the dad stopped and he said, now I'm going to put on another hat, and that's the hat of dad. And as the hat of dad, he said, 
son, I just heard you lost your job. And I'm sorry about that. <laughs> how, can I, how can I help you in this moment in life? See, in some ways, that's the place where God is at in this moment that Paul describes for us. God sees the funkiness of our world. And he sees the funkiness that, that is brought into our own lives. And he sees the funkiness that we create in our lives and for other people. And God says, I just can't let it pass. Because you're not going to be healthy and you're not going to be who you were intended to be. And so I've got to put things in front of you. Things and ways in which that you're living that aren't, that aren't made for you. But in putting those things in front of you, know this. I'm calling you to a place of life. I'm calling you to a, a different reality. One where you, you really step into the person that you're made to be. Somebody who lives within the glory of God and who gives God glory. And so there's a couple of things that God asks for. A couple of things that Paul says God is really pointing us to. In fact, steps of good news, if you will. The first thing that he says that is a gift to us and something that we can do, we can be a part of, is after hearing the description of, of where we're at and taking a really true assessment, he says one of the things that you can do is you can be about the business of repenting. In fact, that's what he says God's kindness, God's tolerance, God's, God's patience is inviting us into, coming, uh, bringing us to a place where we say, you know what? As I look at my life, as I take an assessment of my life, there are, are places where I wished I was not, but I am right now. And I don't know what to do about it. Mark McNally uh, loves movies. Mark loves all different kinds of movies, and he quotes movies galore. And so as we were talking about this sermon today, he sent me a video clip that, that summarizes this passion of repentance up. Now, I, I have to tell you that I have only seen this clip of this video because it comes from the movie called Wreck-It Ralph. Uh, maybe you've seen it, uh, maybe you haven't. But we're going to watch this movie, and it's about a bunch of characters trapped inside of a, of a video game, right? Arcade games. And they're made for something, but Wreck-It Ralph wants something else. Let's show this video. Sure must be nice being the good guy. Nice share, Ralph. As fellow bad guys, we've all felt what you're feeling, and we've come to terms with it. Really? Right here. I'm Zangief. I'm bad guy. Hi, Zangief. Hi, Zangief. I relate to you, Ralph. When I hit bottom, I was crushing men's skull like sparrow egg between my thighs. <laughs> and I think, why do you have to be so bad, Zangief? Why can't you be more like good guy? Then I have moment of clarity. If Zangief is good guy, we'll crush man's skull like sparrow's egg between thighs. And I say, Zangief, you are bad guy. But this does not mean you're bad guy. Right. I'm sorry. I just, I, you lost me there. Zombie, bad guy. Hi, zombie. Zangief saying, labels not make you happy. Good. Bad. 
You must love you. Yeah, inside here. Yeah. Oh, oh, okay. Oh, all right. I get you. I get. You. Watch out, it's dripping. Question, Ralph. We've been asking you to bat it on for years now, and tonight you, you finally show up. Why is that? I don't know. I just felt like coming. I mean, I suppose it has something to do with the fact that, uh, well, today is the 30th anniversary of my game. Happy anniversary, Ralph. Thanks, Satan. Uh, it's subteen, actually. Got it. But here's the thing. I don't want to be the bad guy anymore. Can't mess with the program, Ralph. You're not going turbo, are you? Turbo? No, I'm not going turbo. Come on, guys. Is it turbo to want a friend? Or a medal? Or a piece of pie every once in a while? Is it turbo to want more out of life? Yes. Ralph, Ralph, we get it. But we can't change who we are. And the sooner you accept that, the better off your game and your life will be. Hey, one game at a time, Ralph. Now let's close out with the bad guy affirmation. I am bad, and that's good. I will never be good, and that's not bad. There's no one I'd rather be than me. Okay, gang, see you next week. Listen, I can't do snacks next Hang in there, Ralph. Hey, zombie, don't forget your hatchet. There you go. Ralph recognizes that he's bad. And everybody else in that room thinks, ah, we're all in the same boat. But Ralph is still there saying, there's something more that I'm made for. I'm not made to be in this room week after week after week. There's something more that I'm made for. The thief on the cross, hanging next to Jesus, he realized that there was disparity between the two people who were hanging on those crosses. He'd done stuff in his life. He knew what his story was like, and this was a sense of justice for him. But he knew that Jesus was there out of a sense of injustice. And he really didn't know who Jesus was, but he simply said, this isn't right today. What's happening to you? And he really didn't know how to repent, but he did know how to say, remember me. When whatever place you end up, remember me. That was his way of saying, I long to be in a different place. If you're in a spot right now where you'd rather not be, if your world, if your life is rather funky, Repentance is something that God places before us as a gift, as an invitation to step into. Not so much as, a, as an accounting or a litany of, of how we've really missed the boat, but as an admission in front of God that, you know what, I need your help. It's a turning to him. So Paul talks about repentance that God invites us into that place. And then the other thing Paul points to is the sense of worship. He says when we come into a place of repentance, when we come into the presence of God, 
with humility, with this openness of our hands and our spirit, willing to be open fully to God. God does something unique in that space. In 2.29, Paul says this, A true Jew is one whose heart is right with God. And true circumcision is not merely obeying the letter of the law, rather it is a change of the heart produced by the Spirit. And a person with a changed heart seeks praise from God and not from people. Paul says, much of the things that go wrong in our world go wrong because we get away from acknowledging God or giving thanks to God or worshiping God. And what the Spirit is longing to do is bringing us back into a place where we see God for who he is and we see us for who we are. A true sense of worship. And when we're in that place, the Holy Spirit has a way of mending places in our heart that are wounded, the deep places. And the Spirit has a way of sorting out lines that get crossed between us and God, and the Spirit has a way of sorting out lines that get crossed between us us and other people. The Spirit has a way of taking our confusion and our ashes and our brokenness, like the song that we talked about earlier saying, and bringing out beautiful things. The Spirit has a way of speaking into the depths of where we're, we're at and leading us into new venues. So Paul says, God sees the world as it is. God sees the world as it could be, as he meant it to be. And God is not, he's not absent from the world, but he's present. And he takes a moment, in fact, he takes every moment that he can to invite us to walk in the ways of repentance, of turning to him, and of worship. And when we come to those places, when we see God, God does a work that we can't manufacture, we can't create, and in many ways we can't even begin to imagine what it is. But it's good, and it's right, it's beautiful, and true. This morning... We've been singing about God's goodness and how God brings beautiful things and he creates beautiful things out of dust and out of ashes. We're going to sing some more of what God does when we turn to him in worship. But before we get to that place, I want to invite you to take up a prayer of confession, to take up a prayer of repentance. And this is a prayer that you'll find in the book that's been written on Romans. And it's a prayer that I would encourage you to take up and read throughout this week. So as the band comes, I invite you to read along with me this prayer of confession that's on the screen. Kind Father, you revealed yourself as good, righteous, and troubled by sin. You have not borne, we have not borne your understanding. We have often traded the truth of who you are for our own renditions. Forgive us. Have mercy upon us. Send your spirit 
and change our hearts. Write your law upon our hearts, that in worship and at the grocery store, that in singing praise and balancing the budget, we may know you as good and we will trust in you. Amen.